forever. Dog! They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thank you all for being here. I'm going to go around and ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphone so the listener knows what you sound like. Uh, tell us who you are and where they may have seen your name on their television or movie screen or somewhere. I'm Katie Wesh. I am currently uh, running a show called Good Sam on CBS. Before that, I spent a few years on a CW show called Jane the Virgin. Um, so mostly TV and a few movies here and there, but TV is my my true love. I'm Lauren Pomerantz. Um, the, I'll go chronologically. I started working on SNL uh, first, and then I wrote on the Ellen show for a while. Um, and then I wrote on a few sitcoms, including Community and uh, Me, Myself and I. And then I just wrote a movie called Am I Okay that hopefully you will see sometime this year. <laughs> are there are there plans for release? Are you allowed to talk about that yet, if there are? Uh, there are not uh, specific plans yet. It will be in 2022 though. Hi, I'm Simran Babewan, and I am uh, primarily in the one-hour drama TV realm. Um, you've, I've written for a gazillion, <laughs> it feels like a gazillion, uh, episodes of medical television, you know, from um, The Good Doctor and Royal Pains and Chicago Med. Um, most recently, I just wrapped season one on Ordinary Joe for NBC, and I am in my third season over at Manifest, which is on Netflix. The thing I'm curious about is letting your voice as an individual writer be known on popular television, you know, television for the masses, which it feels like there's so that's so rare these days. Um, and Katie, let's let's start with you on this one. But I want to hear from everyone. And like Good Sam is a network television show um how is this a show that only you could have made um well you know i've only ever really worked in broadcast i've, I've done a couple like cable things but never streaming or like you know subscription cable so i have a lot of experience writing on uh, for broadcast shows and um it is kind of uh, an art of figuring out how to use your voice to tell a story inside of a sometimes familiar template. For me, the answer is in the characters. The more specific and connected I feel to them, then the, the better I can do that because those characters can each have a, a worldview and a point of view and, and a voice and a way of articulating their experiences that can be singular. So even though the maybe the formula of certain broadcast shows, particularly ones with a procedural element might be familiar. There's still, I mean, people are individuals, they're unique. And I think more and more, especially in the world right now, there's more space for different voices and more voices, newer voices, voices that maybe stayed on the margins or were like the side character before get to really uh, dive in and drive narratives in a way that I think it makes it a very exciting time to be a part of broadcast storytelling because we have this wonderful platform and this lovely audience who shows up for us and what an opportunity to 
find a fresh way to do something that feels like it's been done every which way by now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and Sermon, you were saying that like you've worked on a number of these medical procedurals yourself. Do you feel like as a writer on the staff of these shows, you've you felt like your voice is represented, uh, your personality, whatever it is that you bring to the table? For sure. I really feel fortunate. I think that always starts with the top down, you know, so when you have a really um, supportive showrunner who is willing to say, write your story, write whatever you want. And I think exactly what Katie said, that having specificity, you know, which leads to authenticity, I think really allows characters to shine both as maybe your, um, you know, your patient of the week, what have you, but also uh, it's reflective then of who your principal cast are, right? It allows you to um, peel back the layers of the onion of those characters and tell some backstory, introduce things, you know, about personality. And it's in, you know, diving into that, that the audiences really, you know, I think get sucked in. It's the beauty of like, you're never going to remember that, you know, this person had diverticulitis in episode 306, but you are going to remember that that's when they revealed that they had a mom who was an alcoholic and this now explains who they are. So I think it's, it's about that kind of thing. And I really applaud shows like Grey's Anatomy, which I have been a huge fan you know, since the pilot and it's still, it's on my DVR. I watch it every week. I still engage and they have done such a beautiful job about continually cultivating and creating different characters that spin in and out and interweave so beautifully after, gosh, what is it? 18 seasons. So, I mean, it it can be done and has been done and done well, you know, like their, their, their numbers are still phenomenal. It's amazing. It's so inspiring. Sometimes as a viewer, I do remember who had diverticulitis (laughs) and I think I had it. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely working on a medical show is a terrible idea. If you are that kind of person that you're like, what is it? What exactly is the symptom? Is it, um, I'm going to just send you a quick, quick picture of this rash I have on my ankle. Just let me know if you think it's like, you just become, yeah. (laughs) And when you go to the doctor's office and you tell them that like, like, so listen, I looked this up. It's plantar fasciitis. I just need you to yes. prove that and you know, figure it out. I just and they're had like, that. <laughs> I think. <laughs> a, a friend was telling me, a friend who works on a medical show was telling me she, because they have such great researchers and consultants on the show that like, they will just write into the script medical medical for when it's time to explain something is that bit do you all do that too or is it like are you responsible for finding the medical stuff what do you say Simran? i think it depends it depends yeah. on the day i think it and depends like too it i mean a lot of times when we're breaking story i personally because i i mean i was an assistant on house a million years ago so we were very in depth <laughs> there and i think that again like so it was something that, um, and then when I went to go work with a good doctor was working for David Shore. So I had already knew like kind of a little bit about his mindset and how he liked to do things and how he liked to find these medical puzzles. But, you know, I think more and more, I don't know, Katie, about your show, but like we've had doctors who are writers on the show, you know? And so, yes, you have a number of experts that you can reach out to Hollywood. Um, you know, health is like amazing. They're a great resource in getting you experts. But, you know, like Dr. David Renault is a writer and has an MFA and he was on The Good Doctor and he's still on The Good Doctor. And so I would go to him and, you know, talk to him about things. But I think part of when you work on a show like that, you kind of like to nerd out in your, you know, become Dr. Google and you just <laughs> go and find stuff and try to figure it out that, you know, you, you find bizarro stories online and then say, how can we fold this into our universe? 
Um, I wanted to circle back around uh, and Lauren give you an opportunity to answer this question. I mean, you worked on the uh, Ellen DeGeneres show for a long time. Um, am I right that you were the head writer on the show? Yes. Um, talk to me, please, about like having your voice along with serving Ellen's voice. I'm always curious about that on such a personality driven show. Um, well, I have like a, I have a weird thing where I can, I like to get in someone's head. So I feel like I just like got in her head. And from the beginning, when I started working there, I was just like able to do that. I think we just have a similar sense of humor. And, um, and so I just kind of approached it like that. And I would just kind of, I would infuse it with my own sense of humor and my own things that I you know, wanted to <laughs> write on that day, but um, I tried to kind of fuse the two so that I could sometimes like get her to say stuff that I really want her to say, even if um, maybe she wouldn't <laughs> normally say it. But so I kind of like think we merged. That's fair. <laughs> well, so was it, um, I'm, I'm told that um, Am I Okay is, you know, autobiographical in many ways. Um, and was that, tell me about that adjustment to writing something that was much more personal? That was a big adjustment because I had never written anything quite that personal before. Um, intentionally, I was trying not to write anything personal for years and years. So it was like almost that's why I was better getting in someone else's head because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to be in this one. <laughs> and then I finally, uh, you know, I was struggling with my sexuality. That's kind of what the movie is about. And I finally started getting in there and figuring it out and realized that's what I wanted to write about. And I just, I just dove in. And so it was, it was great. And I think it's, it's definitely my favorite thing I've written and worked on. And um, it was a real lesson in, in writing personal things and just getting in there, not being terrified um, or being terrified and doing it anyway. Yeah. Well, that, that was kind of my question. Like, did it come, was it like floodgates had opened, like you were waiting for this moment or was there a struggle to get it down? Um, there was a bit of a struggle because it started as just sort of a friendship movie. That's kind of how I started writing it as just about two best friends, like this female friendship dynamic. And then when I realized I wanted to write about coming out, um, I had to go deeper and that was hard. I didn't, there were a couple passes of the script where I was like, I'm just going to try not to do that. And then people who read it were like, might want to reveal a little bit more and get a little deeper. And I was like, okay. And so each pass, I would kind of go in there a little more and be a little more truthful and a little more, more open. And that was challenging for me because I've always been like just jokes and other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd love to hear about that from uh, Katie and Simran also, like whether it's working on your own stuff. I mean, I'm sure you had to write, you've written original pilots over the years and stuff like that. Like, tell me about that psychological process of writing something true, writing something meaningful to you, writing something real. And what does that process look like for you? Anyone who wants to jump in? Yeah, I think that, you know, in, even though like I've primarily worked in episodic, it's, sometimes you're telling stories about your family and you're telling, you know, reflective stories and it's about your interpretation of that. And it does open wounds and, you know, it can um, be a little bit challenging, but again, I, I think it goes back to what Katie first said when we, you know, started this conversation about specificity, you know, the more you can get into really 
defining things on its most um, honest level, that authenticity, all of that, that's what really makes characters pop and makes, you know, makes your, the world feel, feel real. And I think that that, those touchstones are things that audiences like to see. Yes, they want, there's escapism, but they also want to have it relatable. So it's a, it's a very, it sounds like an oxymoron, maybe like, like you're trying to do both things, but I think it is achievable. And I think the more you put yourself in, you know, whether it be like, the kinds of characters, like where they come from, you know, what, you know, what cultures or race or, you know, socioeconomic status, just every, all sorts of different things. And every show I've worked on, the showrunners, yes, you are, you know, chopping wood, carrying water and, you know, uh, trying to, you know, uh, basically accomplish the showrunner's vision, but they also want to hear your voice. That's the reason why you were brought into the room, hopefully. That the you know so that you can add a depth and breadth of knowledge that is reflective of the world and not just you know very insular. That's that I love what you just said, Summer. I agree with that. I, I feel like um, like now that I'm, you know, the first part of my career, maybe like everybody's beginning when they start at the bottom rung of the ladder in a TV writers room, is like. I succeeded because I was a good mimic, right? Like I was good at understanding what the show sounded like, what the showrunner's voice was and how they wanted it to sound. And so I could like, I mean, I would put my like Katie, you know, thing on it, but it was like, I was good at giving them what they liked and something that I liked too. I can't write something that I don't, you know, it would be so soulless if I, but, but so like, as a result, it, I think maybe took me longer than, than a lot of people to figure out what my voice actually was. Like people would be like, what do you want to write? Katie would be a question people would ask me. And I would be like, who cares? <laughs> like, what do you need it to be? I, it's like such a, not a relevant question to me. Like, is it ladies in blouses solving crimes? Are we talking sexy witches here? Like, what do you need it to be? So it took me a minute to get to a place of like, Oh yeah. Like now that I'm at a place in my career where it's time to develop my own stuff and pitch my own stuff and like how hard it is to make a a pilot, much less a show. Like I have to really figure out what is the core of it for me that lights me up and that I can, that can keep me up until all hours that can like help me motivate a whole other group of people to do this hard work. Like what is that essence? So for me that I got clearer about that, the more I did it that like, okay, I need somebody at the heart of this story that I can plug into in some real emotional way. And whether it's my own bio, bio, my own biography, my own personal, like I went through something like this. So I want to talk about it. Or if it's just like, I know that feeling, you know, like I'm not a doctor, but my show is a medical show about a, a woman who is in a relationship, has a complicated relationship with her father. And I'm like that I can talk. I have a lot of feelings about that. Like I have a lot of perspectives and opinions about a relationship like that. And so I can hook in here and I can, I can find a way to tell the story of that relationship and what this woman's journey is while also solving these medical puzzles, you know? So, so that's kind of the, the way into how can I, how can I, so now it's like, how, what do I love about it? And also how can I make it be the thing it needs to be because it's a CBS medical procedural. And then hopefully those things can, you know, hopefully people will <laughs> like it. <laughs> but, but that absolutely <laughs> nice is part. like, that's, that's how you sell a show, right? Is like, 
here's the thing that you recognize from television. And then here's the, here's the personal thing. Here's the thing I want to write about and how, and you don't have to sneak it in. I think the more it is part and parcel to the concept itself, the better that show is going to be. Um, let's go back to the beginning. You've all touched on this. I think, am I, am I right that you all started, uh, as assistants or in that, that area? I did. I did. Let's <laughs> talk about that. Um, first I want to talk about, I, I know a lot of assistants listen to this show, so let's actually talk about being assistants. Um, tell me about those first, uh, assistant jobs and what it takes to be good at it. If you, if indeed you were good at it and if you weren't, what do you wish you had known? Um, anyone who wants to jump in on that one. In fact, Lauren, let's start with you on this one and tell us, you know, what was that first assistant job and what advice do you have for people who are assistants now? Oh gosh. Um, my first assistant job was, um, was at SNL. I started as an intern there and then I became the receptionist and then I became, um, Steve Higgins assistant who now is on, uh, Fallon and, um, but I think, but it's still at SNL. And, um, you know, that at SNL, your hours are bananas. And so I would be there, which was, it was kind of great for me, honestly, because I'm not a morning person. So I didn't have to be there till like, I think the earliest would be like 11 AM, but you'd stay till midnight too. And then maybe, you know, on the, on that overnight, 6 AM, 7 AM, whatever that is. And, um, and I would be there the whole time. And I mean, I would pretty much do any, I did anything. I did everything and anything that they needed. Um, and that went from those, we would go to like the drugstore, the Dwayne Reed on 48th street at midnight and get candy for the writers and coffee runs and soda and uh, truly anything. Um, but I got to be there the whole time. So I was just watching what everybody was doing and listening and writing and they let assistants submit to weekend updates. So I would work on jokes and, you know, I'd be sitting there at midnight or 2 AM and like everybody walking by would see me and I would get to talk to them and I would ask them questions. And so um, I always think it's weird to say like, do anything and everything because there's certainly things you should not do. <laughs> um, sure. But the I did, you know, but the menial things and the very assistant things I did. And um, I, I it helped me just kind of move along and they knew I wanted to write. And then I eventually wrote there. So um, that was my way in. And was it through like submitting jokes and samples and stuff or, uh, that th they sort of took notice of you? Yes, it was definitely my weekend update jokes that I pushed on them every week and started getting them on. And so then they, then they took note and then uh, I made it clear that like, I wanted to write there and I wanted to write. And if I, if I didn't write there, I was going to move to LA and try and do the sitcom route. So they gave me a shot um, oh, wow. before I moved to LA. That's interesting yeah. because you always hear about how competitive it can be at SNL and, but it seems like they were willing to, to give you that shot. Yes. Both things can be true. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly that hard. And she was exactly, and is famously exactly that good. I feel like I got to like, just be like, a lot of people submitted jokes that didn't get where you it's, are. It's impressive. Yeah. Well, that's, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> <laughs> 
so hard. Should we oh, should we pause God. and like pretend that we've cut out a half hour of you just spilling things about <laughs> SNL? Yes. So we're back. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Katie, what was your uh, assistant? Uh, how did you start out as an assistant? Where did that go? Did they know you wanted to write? How did it all begin? Yeah, like th that's the cool thing about the, at least in the one hour drama world that I've always been in, like, that's what I liked about it. That if you started at the bottom rung as the writer's PA, like I did that there, it was like, if you don't screw this up mostly, then you'll get to like, keep doing it. And then the next time you'll be a little higher on the ladder. And you, eventually the target is for you to get to have a seat at the table where the writers are making the story. So that like made sense to me, my academic, my student brain, you know, movies <laughs> for me were like had didn't, no logic ever. It didn't seem like why one thing would go or why one thing didn't go. And so I, I liked the, I was like, okay, I think I can like really nail these coffee orders and that's going to like help my career. And that's like a little bit weird, but, but I'm fine. Yes. I'm like 27. I have a master's degree, but I am going to like get this lunch. This lady is not, does not <laughs> like tomatoes. So I just like threw myself in and I just worked really hard also to make everybody like me enough that when they would get another show, they'd, you know, call me and let me bring them some coffee on that show. So, and, and I, and I was excited because I, got to watch mm -hmm. how TV shows got made. It's a very hard, weird process and you kind of have to see it to, to let it, for me anyway, I really like learn by absorb, you know. So I just saw them sitting in that room and I saw the walls lined with whiteboards and I saw the way they broke out the arcs of the whole season for every single character and then how they would kind of incrementally execute those arcs episode by episode. I saw how the staff of many writers would talk collectively about the stories for each episode. And then one person would go off and like write that script. In some cases, sometimes they were written as a group, but in any event, I, I watched it while mm -hmm. delivering the coffee so that then when I got my at bat, I could get there. You know, I think that's the idea of any sort of apprentice based system is that when you finally get your shot, you know enough about how it's done, even though it's your first gig, you actually do have experience in this funny way so that you can, you know, contribute and be useful and hopefully not embarrass yourself and insult others. I just, I really want to echo um, Katie's sentiments. I mean, I, I did the same thing. I, I was a, a lawyer. I was a reformed lawyer and I came to LA and I became, a, took an 85% pay cut to become an assistant. And I was answering phones and fetching grilled cheese. And I was like, okay. And for me, I took it as a paid, not very well paid, but <laughs> graduate school, you know, this was like, this is how you learn to make TV. So just as Katie described was, was very similar to my thing. I was like, I'm not sure how to do this. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I dropped calls, you know, from, you know, presidents of, you know, 20th and NBC. I'm like, whoops, sorry. <laughs> and, um, but you know, it's like, okay, I'm just learning how to transfer calls and do this stuff. But I got to see how the department heads came together and how story was broken. And, when I first started, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but very quickly I was like, oh, telling the story is creating the narrative is like so much fun. This like, this is, that's the part to do. And so I read scripts. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when I watched TV and I was like, 
exactly what you're saying. Like, oh, this is, an, this is the teaser. This is the act structure. This is how you do this. I can do this. I've written legal briefs. I know how to follow, you know, a template of how TV is made. And yeah, and that, that's I essentially, that. I did it through observing and just the willingness to do that. I think a lot of people, um, I had one boss who was like, I don't know why I should hire you. You have more education than I do. And and his colleague, thank God, said, that's exactly why you do want to hire her, because she wants to be here. Yeah. You know, she wants nice. to be here. And she's, you know, it's not just like, I have nothing else to do. I put a whole other career, you know, on hold to try this out and to see, you know, if this is what I wanted to do. So um, I really, you know, appreciate those people, you know, extending themselves and letting me tag along and listen. And I think to kind of what Lauren was saying, like, you let them know that you want to be a writer, you have to say exactly what it is that you want to do. And you get to know them and you ask questions or you get invited to table reads and to set and to see how things are done. And if you, I remember asking a question on an episode of house, I was like, Hey, I have a question about this. They're like, Oh, you're right. Yeah. That doesn't track. And I was like, Oh, I didn't mean it that way, but I was just trying to learn. But then they, then they would come to me like, Oh, did you read this? What did you think of the outline? What did you think of the script? I'm like, you're like an Emmy nominated writer. Why do you care what I think? But you know, we're writers. Everybody cares about what everybody thinks. I love that so much what you just said. It reminds me when I was, uh, I think I was on a writer's assistant or something. I was still on this as a sports staff and I was on a show called Prison Break and I, it was the first or second season and we were moving offices or something was happening with our offices. And so I had in the back of my, you know, beat up car, all these cardboard boxes that needed to be assembled. You know how they're flat and then you make them. And I, I was carrying so many and Karen Usher, who was like at that time, a story editor and is now, you know, has created shows and is so great. She, she like walked past me and picked up some. And I was like, oh no, no, you, I couldn't possibly ask you to do this. You know, like you have to be other, so, so many more. And she was like, Katie, it's not like some of us are writers and some of us are box carriers. <laughs> like we all, we're all pointed in the same direction. Like I help you, you help me. And it was like, these small moments that are so um, eye-opening for you. And then, and, and so she just like made me feel, she made me understand the collective endeavor that it is to make a television show and how you truly do need every single person's exuberance and commitment and good ideas and voices. Like there isn't some kind of a line, right? That divides yeah. anybody. Yeah. Like we all gotta, and it, it, that like was a good lesson for me. And, and also just like helped me I just sort of implanted that and, and how lucky for me that then when I came around the bend where it got to be my turn to get to hire people and be the person that I could remind, I could be the one that says like, there are not writers and box carriers. Like we're all make other people feel the way she made me feel and how great that is, you know? Yeah. What a great way to nice? enter the business too, uh, to have that early experience. Um, I'm, I love did, that, that there's no ego with that either. It's yeah. not like, no, we're in the, we're in this, we're all in this boat together. Let's just row in the same direction, you know? And I think that that's, yeah. again, like that always trickles from the top down, I feel like. And then I feel, you know, then you have, I had so many writers who I was assistant to, I'm like getting coffee and doing the thing, but they were like, what are you working on? What do you want to write? And I was like, oh, you care. And they do, they genuinely cared and you forge relationships. And, you know, it's because of that, like way back when I was an assistant on house that I was able to get a job with David Shore. And then my old bosses, Russell Front and Garrett Lerner created Ordinary Joe. And, you know, we've still been friends. They're like, come work for us. You know, so it's like you've built relationships and they, you keep in touch and you just, I think it's about respect and you know just trying to figure out like how we can all kind of help each other you know that that whole adage of rising tide lifts all boats I think that there are people who 
I, more and more people I'm, I'm happily happy to say that I feel are really believing in that adage. For sure. Um, did all of you get your first staff jobs out of these assistant jobs? I didn't. Um, didn't. I mean, I was the assistant there, but I ended up, I did a writing program. I did the CBS writing program. And at the time they had four, they picked four drama writers and four comedy writers. And I was one of the four drama writers. And we, um, you know, we all went and got to meet different executives and different showrunners and that kind of thing. But they really did this thing where they kind of submitted our material to agencies and managers. And so, you know, they'd already done all the homework for these agencies and managers. So they're like, oh, great. I only have to read like four scripts. And then we did, you know, what I call speed dating with agents and managers. And from there is how I got signed. And then they helped me to get my first job. But, you know, it was also, I mean, again, it was one of those things where I like, I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I was like, I'm going to try as many different things as I can. And if that means, you know, having to leave on a Thursday at like five o'clock and drive over the hill and do like a three hour <laughs> CBS writing program. Great. I'll do whatever it takes. That's great. Um, and what was that first staff job? My first job was um, Royal Paints. Okay. So that was um, for USA. And, you know, I think probably it helped that I was coming from house. It was, you know, sure. it's a very light, you know, um, dramedy, but medically driven. And my spec at the time when you wrote specs of existing TV shows was a Grey's Anatomy. So they were like, oh, great. She comes Perfect. from house and she wrote a Grey's Anatomy. Let's take her. Were you living in LA when, before you started working? No, I was in San Francisco. I was a criminal prosecutor up in the Bay area. And you, and, you know, I lived in San Francisco and worked in the East Bay and I took a sick day and I flew down to like to have an interview with this um, gentleman, Joe Stern, who was running, you know, he was the head executive producer of judging Amy. And he was like, all right, come be my assistant. That's wild. Wow. That's so awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, and Lauren, so you you came out of being an assistant and and working on SNL. Um, and then Katie, were you, am I right, that secret circle? Did you get staffed on that? Yeah, but that was after like, I, I when I was starting out as an assistant in TV, I had gone to USC film school and I, at that time, it wasn't so easy to be back and forth in TV and movies like it is now. It's sort of like you were one or the other. And I came out of film school thinking that I was really going to just be about movies and write movies. So all my samples were, were features. And so then I was work, I kept getting jobs as an assistant in TV, like I'm saying, and learning about how to be a TV writer, but all my samples were were features. So it was very weird. And then at some point, a great writer, Monica Maser, took me aside and said the same thing that it sounds like somebody said to Simran, which was like, what where is your sample like what is your plan here and I was like I don't have a tv sample I only have movies and she was like hey you gotta like like this is the part where you're supposed to be like here's my sample so I had to I had to kind of do that but but um which was great because then I wrote one quickly and I gave one to gave it to her and she did pass it around and help me find an agent um but it was even hard for me to find an agent because I had sure. features but all my connections were in TV and the, they just didn't do both things. Then there was agencies that were like only for, so I, most of the agencies were like nice samples, but no thanks. And then I found this one guy who I've been with my whole career, who was like, I read your TV spec and it's pretty good, but I think you're like maybe a little late for TV staffing this year. It was like April, but I think I can sell your feature. 
And I was like, signed. I mean, if he had said he hated it, I would have just been, nobody wanted to read it, you know? So then he did wow. sell it a month later to Warner Brothers. Jerry Weintraub bought it, which was so great. I got to like meet him and hang awesome. out his trailer. And like, he was like, here's Muhammad Ali's like gloves, right? It was just like a crazy thing for me. Cause I had went from like making $2 a day to like going to <laughs> Muhammad Ali's gloves and Jerry Weintraub. But so because he sold that feature, then I had like a little bit of, more interest on the TV side. And I did also end up getting staffed that season on an ABC show that only went one season. It was called Traveler. But so then I was like working in the writer's room in the day as a writer and then at night rewriting my feature. And, you know, that's kind of how it's gone for me. So then I wrote on a couple staffs and then I got a job like it was kind of a just a feature deal at Mm -hmm. Disney for a few years. And I wrote a movie that they made in like 2009. And, but then I came out of that program and I missed TV a lot. And so then I sort of had to start over because nobody really cared about your Disney movie. If you wanted to be on a CW show about (laughs) sexy witches, for example. So then I started, that's when I went on secret circle and I was kind of like, like a junior writer. Cause because I'd been away for a while writing movies. So it was, it's a funny, um, I had a long first act, <laughs> I always say. But then once I landed there, yeah. I stayed in TV pretty much. And then if I, you know, like did us, I would rewrite a movie on the right. side or do something like that, but but really focused for, for the most part on the track that I had found for myself. I don't even know if that was your question. That actually leads to the question I, I was getting to, which is uh, this conversation came up on Twitter recently where where writers were talking about, um, going from their first staff job to their second staff job and how that can often be a difficult transition, right? That first one is, you know, comes from being an assistant or knowing someone or, or you know, whatever it is. But finding that second job can be very difficult. And, and Katie, I think you've really spoken to that. Um, Lauren, where did you go after SNL? Um, what, what was the plan and did you achieve that goal? Um. The plan was to come out to LA and do sitcoms. And when I came out, um, I met on a lot of sitcoms and then met on Ellen and like backing up when I was at SNL, I wanted to write on Ellen uh, because her show started while I was at SNL and moved to LA, thought I wanted to write on sitcoms, but had an Ellen interview and I was like, I want to, I, and I wanted to write on Ellen. So I got that job. Um, and I was there for like two years, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, and then I wanted to write on a sitcom. So then I went to community and then. Was that in the first season of community? It oh, was. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I wanted to go back to Ellen <laughs> and <laughs> then um, but I, it's a very long, weird, crazy story, but Dan, Dan Harmon was my next door neighbor. Coincidentally, like when I moved to LA, I moved on a third, it's a very LA story. I moved to LA on a Thursday from New York and my agent set me up with the meeting with a meeting on the Sarah Silverman show with Sarah Silverman and Dan Harmon. And we got to the meeting. It was at birds on Franklin and they were like, Oh, you just moved here. Right. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, where do you live? And I said, Los Feliz. And Dan was like, I live in Los Feliz. Where do you live? And I said, on Commonwealth. And he said, I live on Commonwealth and we lived next door to each other. And it was the, and I didn't get that job, (laughs) but then we like kept in touch and he started, he started community and he, and so he was like, submit your packet. And I did. And we, we had, I think at the time we had the same, yeah, we had the same agent because that's how we got set up. 
And um, he like said he put it in the pile and the showrunners read it and liked it. And so I got hired on community. And then um, and then I then Ellen kind of came a calling and was like, you want to come back? And I said, yes. So then I went back to Ellen and I was there for a while. And then I was simultaneously working on my movie. And I went I was like, I got to finish this movie. And so I wanted to um, leave to finish the movie and like kind of do other things. It had been a while. So I did that left again and then um wrote the movie did another sitcom and like worked on my own stuff and then she was like want to come back again to do a couple what we thought was like almost the end of the run at that time and I said yes went back again um and then (laughs) then went and shot this movie and then I left (laughs) for real and so I had a very unique journey i will say which is um yeah i don't know that that answers anything well i think it's really (laughs) interesting because like it's actually not dissimilar to what katie was talking about and certainly what i've been through the past like 10 years where like you're doing all of these things and that can you know they're all writing that's all the job it's all writing and producing but it can often be hard to express to people that that's what it is and like setting yourself up for a narrative show after coming from a sketch show or coming from you know a daytime show can be a difficult thing to get people to understand so i'm curious to know like it sounds like your your reps understood that you could do any of this stuff and would help you with that but was it challenging to the industry at large Definitely. And I had an agent tell me like they didn't know what to do with me sure. because I bounced around so much and I didn't. Me too. Yeah. And and it's that's hard because I knew that I it's exactly what Kate was just saying. Like you had to pick one thing or the other at that time. It was like if you were sketch, you were sketch. And if you were daytime, you were daytime and sitcom and drama. And and so and even when like when I started, it sounds like when you started the you had to write a spec. You, they weren't even looking no for way. original yeah. stuff. It was like you, yeah. And you had like four options, and, you know, <laughs> like, and that's what you did. And so finding your own voice and knowing that there were more options out there was not really a thing. Um, and so finding your way is, is a lot more challenging. So yeah, people didn't really know what to do with me and I don't know if they do yet, but I still, I just, I don't know. I like to try everything. So I, I really liked talk and variety and, um, but I also did like the narrative scripted world. Um, and I really like features now, like it, I, I like it all. So um, it was definitely though a journey to get there because people yeah. were, yeah, people are confused by me. <laughs> no, but I get it. I think there's hopefully more flexibility. I think in yeah. your story, Lauren is super inspiring that you're able to do scripted and feature and then do talk and do like late night and do all of that because I really feel it's and maybe this is just part of human nature where you know we just want to put people in boxes you know very it's very succinctly like put them okay you belong here you belong there but I was like no I'm a multitude of things I am a writer you know I just don't do medical and which was one of the reasons why I had left the good doctor because I had done medical for so long they were like every medical show wants you. I said, that's great, but I also kind of want to expand and try different things. And Jeff Frank was really gracious and let me come on manifest. I'm like, oh my God, this is sci-fi mythology serialized. I'm like, are you sure you want me? And I was like, and it was very, (laughs) it was a little scary for me, but in a good way, I'm glad that I pushed myself 
to try to do something else. And I've had a blast. I've been on the show for three years. And then, you know, then because of that, then you allow yourself to be like, I'm going to write something totally off the wall. I know nothing about, you know, X, Y, or Z, but I'm super interested and I'm going to go, you know, dig into that. So it's allowed me to um, write my own pilots that are, you know, totally off the path of what I thought I was going to be writing. People always say, you, I, I was a lawyer. I'm like, I wrote for one legal show that like, you know, unfortunately <laughs> didn't get a back nine, but that's it. I've never written for a legal show. That's so interesting. Wow. After. Yeah, and that was so a million years ago, but I was like, it's all good. And ordinary Joe is this kind of, you know, multiverse, you know, super serialized three, you know, like sliding doors kind of thing. And I was like, awesome, let's do it. So it's just it's awesome. anything. I think when you're excited about the material mm-hmm. or excited, the people that you're collaborating with, which TV is such a collaborative, you know, uh, medium, it's, it's been super awesome. And then in that same way that TV gave me an opportunity, I'm a director who was directing an episode of mine, you know, you go and you have dinner and just get to know each other. And they had options, something else. And he was like, you should come write this movie. And I was like, I don't have any movie samples. I don't know what to write a movie. And he's like, it's okay. Give me your pilots. Give me everything. And he really helped champion me to Amazing. get a job to write a movie. So I was like, oh, people, people awesome. are willing to look beyond. Yeah. There are some people who are willing to look beyond and not just stick you in that box, which I think is, is really awesome. Yeah. And I think more, more so now than, you know, even five years ago. For sure. That, that is the case. And I think, I think you know, you're, you're all... You're all proof of that. Simran, you touched on this thing, which I love hearing about, which is this change in course, which, you know, doesn't have to be necessarily about your career trajectory, but about the material. Um, Discovering like, oh, I haven't written this thing before, and now I get to write this thing. And I'd love to hear that from, and it sounds like um, Ordinary Joe and Manifest got to be that for you, like getting to flex different muscles. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, it's easy to get complacent sometimes in what you're doing. And mm -hmm. I enjoyed what I did and, you know, made a good living, but I also really wanted to, after being in the business for at least, you know, a decade of writing and which, you know, knock on wood, I'm very, very grateful for. I also wanted to be willing to say, Hey, if I don't try it now, when will I try it? And it's a very scary thing to leave the good doctor at the time was the number one show in the world, you know? And I was like, Hey, David, can I, are you okay if I leave? And he was very gracious. And he said, yes, go with God, do whatever, you know, you want to do. And then I was like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to get a job. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to take this leap, do it now. And it was really, um, I think the best thing I ever did for my career. I'm so, it was very frightening at the time, but so grateful I did that because it felt, it gave me a lot of self-confidence that maybe I didn't possess. I think, at least for me, I, I am perpetually in that imposter syndrome thing. They're going to find me out. They're going to kick me out of the club. You know, I'm going to have to go live in my parents' basement again. You know, mm-hmm. that could, and so even after all this time, I think I still, a little bit of me has that. So when you were talking about getting your second job, I'm like, shit, I'm always worried about getting the next job still, you know, it's <laughs> like yeah. second job, third job, 12th job, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that allowed me to have a lot more self-confidence in writing and just writing anything and whatever I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't give two shits if it's about, you know, hikers, you know, it's, if it's about like, you know, you know, snowboarding, I'm like, I don't know anything about that, but <laughs> that person looks cool. That looks like an interesting world. I think also part of being a storyteller is being a really good listener. And so when you're, whether you're in a writer's room or whether you're at a coffee shop or whether you're listening to, you know, the table next to you, what, you know, at dinner, you're like, 
<laughs> and then building fantasies of what those people would do when they go home. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like uh, Simran's advice is go eavesdrop. <laughs> A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. Be nosy. Exactly. Um, Lauren, It's it sounds like uh, Am I Okay was that same sort of um, consciousness opening uh, project for you. Has this opened the doors for other things? Are you going to, like, has it inspired you to go and chase down, you know, the thing that you never thought anyone would want to read from you? Um, yeah, for sure. It's 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 inspired me to, to just kind of write more personal stories and to and I guess not even if they're personal, but like real life mm -hmm. stories. Um, I think I've just shied away from that and always I've written more like what I think I should write and what um, you know what I've I guess just things that didn't feel as authentic, and so that's that's my new quest is to keep it a little more real. Um, and whether it's my, my own stories or other people's stories, family stories, friend stories, um, just things that are, that feel really real and relatable in that way. And, um, and yeah, so it's, it's going to be interesting. I love, I'm glad <laughs> to hear it new. though. That's exciting. <laughs> um, and, and Katie, what, what was that for you? You know, was there a script or a project or something that, made you feel like I can write that thing that has been eating at me or let's see what's out there. Maybe I can try something new. You know, it's like, it's weird, but I, I kind of feel like I'm, the, my answer is the opposite of your question because so much of my career it. was based on like, I'll just, whatever you need, I'll write it. Yeah. So I didn't really think about whether I could, I just figured it out. So I always, and I've been on a lot of season shows that only went one season. So I don't know if this is probably my fault actually, but I, it gave me the opportunity to be always getting jobs on weird shows. This guy has sure. psychic ability. This girl <laughs> glows in the dark. I don't know what it was, but it was like, I would just figure it out. I would figure out the math of how that show worked, how those stories broke, what those. So I didn't, feel like there was stuff that I couldn't do or shouldn't do. I would do whatever you wanted me to do. I was a really good, I was good at, like, I was a good hack. I still am. And I'm proud of that. Cause I, I can be like, you know, the person in the room who can deliver that for you if you need it. So what, but what happened to me then is I started to like evolve and develop my own stuff is I got myself to a place where I was like, I don't think I'm the writer for that. Hmm. Or like, I don't think I have anything really meaningful to contribute or like the direction you guys want to take this is not something that's really like, I'm not so jazzed. So I think maybe you need, like I, I wrote a, a spec during the pandemic that New Line bought and I like loved it. It was such a good, like cathartic thing for me. It was like this R-rated nasty sex comedy starring American Girl Dolls. It was very, <laughs> but I like got all my feelings out. And then they were like, really wanted to change, change everything, right? And it's like their money. So you'd want to do it. But at a certain point, I had to have I had to be honest about like, this is what I this is the mm -hmm. one I can do for it. And like, I think you guys got to get another writer if that's really what you want, because like, it's just not going to be good if I do it because it's not I don't get it what you yeah. want. And like, I'm cool, like good luck to that guy. He can like or girl, she have them call me. They want to like kick some stuff around, but it's just not I just don't. So for me, getting to a place where I was like, I think no thanks mm -hmm. to your like base opera now for me where before it was like you'd be I'd be scared to say no or sure. I would think like I yeah. had to prove I don't know so like my particular neuroses was about getting the developing the like confidence in my ability enough to not do stuff yeah 
<laughs> which is so hard. Totally relate I mean, to right. that. Yeah, I think That's we all amazing. do. Yeah. Oh yeah. I feel like just now also for me, I've come to a place of like, that is not for me. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning mm-hmm. up until like the other day, it was always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me try that. Let me try that. Let me like, I have to make myself work for that. And I, and I need to be, I need to fit in. And, you know, in the sitcom world, that is, that can be challenging. Yeah. And I, I finally understand that of like, no, this is a, we're really forcing this and this is not for me. I think that's huge. I think that's so huge. The power of no, you know, and that again, it's like, it's power, right? It's not, it's not saying that you can't do it or you don't, it's like, maybe this is not right for me. And I loved what you were saying too, Katie. It's that, it's that you are spending so many hours, you know, away from your family and friends to do this job. I hope you really love it. You know, I hope you really enjoy what it is that you're doing. So, you know, I agree. Like I didn't, I did never think that I had the ability to say no. And it's like, I didn't have the right to say no, if that makes right. sense, Yeah. you know? And so walking yeah. away from things um, can be scary, but I think it's also super empowering and it lets you know your self-worth. Mm. That's, yeah, that. absolutely. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, I, I wish we could go on. Uh, this is all great stuff. Uh, we'll end as we always do by asking you what you're watching on television these days. What is getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones, the rooms that you're in? And Lauren, let's start with you on this. Okay, well, here's what we're currently watching. Um, we're watching, and just like that, and we're watching Succession, which we have not finished yet. <laughs> nice. Those are, those are our back-to-backs alternating. Yeah, how do those, how do those pair? <laughs> they pair great, <laughs> very well. <laughs> you get a little of everything. These are good answers. Katie, what are you watching these days? You guys, I like barely make it to watch my own show when it airs. I don't, I, I mean, I have to be honest, I just am not watching. But the things that got me most excited of late were, I really liked that um, that show Unorthodox. Mm-hmm. And I liked Queen's Gambit, you know? Um, and like, I like just really specific Mm-hmm. I think worlds and characters. I just think it's like, well, I've just never been inside of the head of somebody coming from that particular perspective. And then like, I have three kids, so I'm watching the book of Boba Fett, <laughs> which my daughter <laughs> describes as people in costumes posing. That's what, if you said, what was the book of Boba Fett? <laughs> She's amazing. like, they just pose, they're just posing. I know, I'm like, that, that's it's pretty, perfect. they are definitely doing yeah. that. Like, that's exactly right, it's what's happening. We're just watching people like pose and just be like, like I love it, so that's, it's like the thing that's on my TV. These that's days. phenomenal. Uh, Simran, what are you watching? Um, I just finished Yellow Jackets, which I blew my mind. It was so oh damn good. I mean, so much it, fun. It was just really like from writing, directing, acting. You know, um, the production value, the music is so. I mean, it was just. Wow. It was oh, I have to watch fantastic. it. Fantastic. I. I'm also. It's my favorite thing to want to write. You know, it's like whenever you see a show and you're like, God damn, I wish I was on that show. That's the kind yes. of show, it, that's what it felt like. It was so good because it's that ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances and you're like, holy shit. So I, yeah, it was it was like really like, can we watch another episode? I know it's 1 a.m. It's okay, I'm gonna watch another one. And I, <laughs> Katie, I have two kids, so I'm like, what am I doing? Like, uh, it was like crack. I was like, I have to do it. I have to. Wow, I gotta check um, it out. And I really, yeah, I loved that immensely. And then on the other side of, you know, the spectrum is like, I have I have kids and it's like, we'll watch, you know, everybody loves the amazing rice and we'll watch Great British Baking Show. And you know, like they, they love that kind of stuff. I'm like, right, this is, this is, you know, we'll do that. Because, you know, some of the Love other it. stuff they want to watch, I'm like, yeah, I gotta go to your room and go watch that. I, I, can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't, yeah. 
Well, I'll recommend to your kids the great Pottery Throwdown. Uh, oh, <laughs> definitely yeah? check it out. Okay. All right. Check uh, it out. It's, it's Bake Off vibes, but pottery. So not as fun, but still passes the time. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. This was absolutely a pleasure. Uh, please come back anytime. We'd love to have you. Thank Thanks you, Ben. Thank you so us. much. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.